Wires is a wireless power podcast created to spark conversation, share stories, and educate the public on the future of wireless charging. Each podcast episode explores one key question in or adjacent to the wireless power space. Guests include wireless power industry experts, engineers, product designers, and technology leaders engaging in casual chats on compelling subjects. Our World Without Wires takes a lighthearted tone that is accessible to everyone, even while addressing highly technical topics. Join us and learn how you can live in an unwired world. Welcome to another great episode of Our World Without Wires. Today, Paul Mitchison joins us from Imperial College, London. Dr. Mitchison is a researcher and highly regarded expert in energy harvesting systems, wireless power transfer, and power electronics. He sits on the executive committee of the UK Power Electronics Centre and is a co-founder of the Imperial College wireless power spinoff company, Bumblebee. In this episode, Paul will introduce Bumblebee Power, talk about their project to wirelessly charge scooters, and share how they use a higher frequency to meet market expectations. Welcome to our world without wires. Uh, Today, our guest is Professor Paul Mitchison from the Imperial College in London. Uh, Welcome, uh, Professor Mitchison. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you, Sanjay. Thank you for inviting me. Glad to have you, glad to have you. So let's start with just a quick introduction about some of your academic work and research uh, that you've been doing. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, well, as you know, I wear I wear two hats at the moment, uh, and we'll I'm sure come on to talk about my uh, my second hat in a moment. Um, but I am professor of electrical energy conversion at Imperial College London, and uh, I've been actually an academic at Imperial since I finished my PhD in 2006, and I started my research career. Uh, with the kind of intention and the the tagline I give it is getting power to hard to reach places. And and that all came from work I was doing on energy harvesting. Uh, And of course, the intent there was to be able to provide power where battery swapping or battery recharging or tethering uh, was not really feasible. And we did, I think, quite a lot of good and interesting stuff academically on the energy harvesting. But ultimately, it just kind of proved that, you know, most of the time, you needed to get more power into an application than you could do with the energy harvesting approach. And so the alternative approach that that seems a lot more practical is to provide wireless power delivery into an application. So in about 2012, we started working on delivering power wirelessly. Um, We saw the work that had been done on inductive powering, uh, and we started asking ourselves the question, why are people looking at low frequency technology here when you can exploit high Q factors more easily at high frequency and you can transmit power over higher distances? Uh, And so in, I think, 2012, we published our first paper where we looked at using 6.78 megahertz. uh, And and in this case, uh, trying to power levels of around about 100, 200 watts. So we didn't sort of immediately come in and say, let's try and do a few watts. We decided that we should aim at sort of what we we call the mid-power type of, of application. And we... You know, since 2012, we've gone on and we've developed a whole range of intellectual property, uh, some on the transmit side in terms of uh, uh, circuit uh, topologies for the inverter, then some circuit topologies for the uh, for the rectifier. Um, And then in addition to that, we've started looking at uh, things like foreign object detection and mains connection and all the ancillary stuff that you need to put together to build a wireless power system. 
But we always had the intent in mind when doing the academic work that obviously we wanted to do good and interesting academic work. But we are, after all, an engineering department, and it makes sense if you can think about, of course, the application to society and the potential for commercialization. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. And yes, you know, wireless power is a perfect way to get energy into hard to reach places. I like, uh, I like that description, by the way. I've never heard that before. So tell me about your second hat. And it seems like based on some of the academic work uh, you and your students have been doing, you recently started a company or maybe not so recently. Yes. So, uh, well, recently got seed funding into the company. We spun out from the university. I think it was probably late 2019 officially that we did uh -huh. uh, the paperwork to get out of the university. But we only really started properly as a business around about 12 to 18 months ago. Um, and the aim, uh, as you say, the company is called Bumblebee Power, and it's there to commercialize the technology that we've developed in the lab. So it's, uh, it's licensed the, the patents from Imperial. A number of people that were researchers in the lab have now exited the lab. The lab's a little bit quiet at the moment, and they work uh, full-time at Bumblebee. And uh, for people who may not be aware of Bumblebee, uh, if you look on our, on our website, uh, it's just bumblebeepower.com, you'll see straight away that one of the uh, early markets that we're trying to adopt is the micro-e-mobility market. Uh, and we think that uh, the, the fleet operations and the, the cost of battery swapping in that type of market are a perfect place for us to start in terms of rolling out wireless power. So our kind of take on this is let's try, because there are so many markets, as, as you well know, that wireless power mm -hmm. can operate in. The challenge to some extent for, for any startup in this area is, is really to figure out what is the best way to start, because there are so many different options we could choose. But we were very clear that we wanted to go into a market where there was a strong business value proposition that was something better than just convenience. You know, people, people will buy a product because it's convenient. In fact, I have, I shouldn't really say it on, on this podcast, perhaps, but I have a Qi charger on my desk for my phone. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, the, the utility that that provides me is purely, well, maybe there are two. It's convenient because I don't have to plug in and it stops me wearing out the USB port on the phone. But it's really then just a convenience to me. There's no saving that I make. There's no business saving. There's no real business case. It's purely, uh, it's a nice thing to have and it's convenient. And we felt that launching into markets where there was a real value proposition for the end user uh, would be a, an easier place for us to start. And if you look at the... Yeah. Yeah, go on. Yeah, Paulo, thank you. Thank you for that. And by the way, I think you mentioned quite a few things. So I'm assuming you're still using a high frequency solution for some of the applications that you're talking about. That's right. Unlike what is on the phones today. Correct. Everything that we do at Bumblebee is multi-megahertz, and we try to, to stay, of course, within uh -huh. the ISM bands. So we build 6.78, 13.67 megahertz solutions, typically. And, 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 you know, just for the benefit of our audience, and maybe you can explain it to us, to those folks who actually don't have a PhD like you, what are the benefits of choosing let's say a frequency in the megahertz ism band like 6.78 that you were talking about as compared to where a lot of the existing wireless power solutions are working in so i think there are probably three main benefits with going up in frequency and, and i guess those are cost 
the ability to push power over larger air gaps with larger tolerances to misalignment and also weight. They're probably the three main things. So I, I guess people who work in the field in general of power electronics will be sort of generally familiar with higher frequency, meaning smaller magnetic components and saving weight. Right. And you get all of that benefit in the converters in a wireless power system, but also you get benefit in the transmit and receive pads. So there are there's a, a key um, set of parameters that determine the performance of a wireless power system. And it depends on the magnetic coupling mm -hmm. between the two pads, and it depends on the Q factor of the pads. And um, again, people who've done some electrical engineering will remember that the Q factor is proportional to the frequency. Uh, so Q factor of an inductor is, is omega L divided by R. And so that alone, and it's, it's a little bit more subtle than that, but basically that tells you that as you go up in frequency, you can operate with high Q factors. And the efficiency depends on Q and it depends on K. So fundamentally, if you can push up the Q factors, you can work with lower values of K. And lower values of K are what occurs when you get bigger separation between the coils or big misalignment. So fundamentally, if you want to go with over larger air gaps mm -hmm. or with big misalignment between transmitter and receiver, you've got to push up the frequency to get high Q, and then you can work in those low K situations. Got it, got it. So, so just maybe reiterating for, I think a lot of our audience are not as technically like advanced as you are, Paul, right? So what you're saying is, look, I can push more power cheaply over longer distances and it weighs less at the end, right? That's it, absolutely right. Okay, okay, very good, very good, very good. So for the kind of applications in the in the e-mobility space, Paul, that you're talking about, can you share like what what's the first product that you're building and what uh, like any more details about the markets and so on? Sure, sure. So we are actually, and we're doing this podcast at a very good time actually, because we're about to roll out a trial in partnership with Voy. Voy is uh, probably the leading uh, supplier and operator of scooters uh, into the European market. And they've started operating now uh, in parts of the UK. Um, they have a, a, a scheme running in Warwick and actually on the campus at the University of Warwick. And rather than like the very compact imperial campus that we have here jammed in the centre of London, the Warwick campus is quite large and spread out. Uh, in the countryside. Uh, and so it makes sense to operate micro e-mobility and, and scooter schemes on the Warwick campus. And so we're installing a trial, actually just of four scooters to start with, uh, up on their campus, which will initially be used by their facilities management division for zipping around the campus. And so we'll get some initial feedback from the users in terms of practicality. We'll learn a bit about the robustness of the system across the operation in different temperatures and things. That's our first real uh, deployed proof point for the technology that takes it really outside of the lab and into the hands of users. Yeah, and so that's excellent. And can you talk about like why, if I'm a customer for these electric scooters, and I'm assuming these are like the small ones that people use for personal mobility and so on. That's right. Why is wireless power so essential? Why not just plug them into like with a cable, charge the batteries that way? So there are really sort of two competing schemes that you might think of uh, in addition to wireless power uh -huh. for, for solving the, uh, the, the recharging problem for these scooters. 
what is actually done uh, typically at the moment is not a plug-in type solution. Uh-huh. They, uh, they literally go around and they swap batteries. So at the moment, you've got teams of people going around with vans that are full of, of charged batteries, and they go and swap them for the depleted batteries that are then you know, in, the, in the, the rolled out scooter fleet on the streets. And, and of course, that you know, requires a lot of manpower. That's a very expensive yeah. operational overhead for these companies. Uh, and so you've got to look at charging them in situ somehow. And there are, there are then two competitors in, in the in-situ charging. You can try and do it wirelessly, uh, or you can have some sort of contact-based system in a dock. Uh-huh. So why would you not want to use the contacts? Contacts eventually wear out. They're subject to weathering. Um, uh, generally, we and, and as surprising as it is, is, is to people to hear it, we should be able to make wireless solutions more reliable than, than wired solutions in this case. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm actually just thinking about a contact-based solution, you know, especially in the rain, maybe that's a safety hazard too, by the way, right? You know, Absolutely, uh, depends on the voltage, absolutely, absolutely right. And, and so essentially, you know, the, the wireless solution looks, uh, looks very good for that application in terms of saving the operational expenditure for the operator uh-huh. uh, and being reliable over a, over a long period of time. And there's actually an additional reason here why it's very important to go for a high-frequency solution in this application uh, and not just a low-frequency solution. Because you could envisage, for instance, mm-hmm. putting – if you had a dock that the, the scooter docks into – you know, some sort of physical mount. And actually, a lot of these schemes that you see are, are what we would call dockless schemes. You just see, uh, and I'm sure some of the listeners will have seen these schemes, uh, both in the US and in Europe, where you've got scooters that are just literally left on the street. You unlock them with an app, yeah. you ride them, and you you deposit them wherever you want to deposit them. They're not physically taken in and out of a dock. And so you don't really want to be constrained to, to from a charging perspective of adding docks into an infrastructure in a city environment, if you can help it, because the dock yeah. is expensive. What you might be able to do, and what seems to be the favored route now for local authorities, are to designate something about the area of a parking space in different areas of the city. So you don't what you don't want to have is these things going everywhere and anywhere. There still needs to be some yeah. element of control, but you don't want to be putting in significant amounts of street furniture. So what you can do is you can put a ground pad in into these designated areas and they can charge from the ground pad. And of course, if you look at a low frequency solution, the geometry just doesn't work very well at low frequency. So high frequency is the way to solve this problem. I see. I see. So this is very interesting. So what I'm, it's got me really thinking, right? So if I'm a city planner, I'm thinking, okay, maybe there's a couple of spots that were assigned for parking cars. I take one or two of them and convert them to where you put your scooters, enable them with wireless charging, maybe something underneath the pavement or something like that. And then people come, leave the scooters there and they're all charging. That that would be awesome. Absolutely. Right? That that would be so amazing. City city planners and local authorities should like this because it's a you know, it's an incentive for people to put the scooters back into a particular location rather than leaving them all over the place. Yeah. Uh, but you don't have the cost of installing the docks. Of course, right. you've got to install the charging pad, but you don't have to install all the uh, you know above surface street furniture. Yeah, exactly. And then you don't have all the vandalism that I see, by the way. Absolutely. Right. Right. You know, Absolutely. the stuff which is not visible uh, is probably way more robust, lasts a whole lot longer than things that uh, that can be broken or just you have like wear and tear, right? You know, uh, that's right. 
Interesting, interesting. So I'm assuming, by the way, Paul, like a technology and you know the kind of platform that you're building. I'm assuming an electric scooter probably needs somewhere between, let's say, 200 watts to uh, the 500 watts or something like that in terms of the power that it needs. So I think, yeah, looking at the duty cycles here, because of course these scooters generally are idle uh -huh. overnight. Uh, right. Then, then actually, you uh, you probably only need something like 100 watts as a practical charging yeah. level. Yeah. Can you share like? What other applications might be there? I think you're absolutely right, by the way. I think the applications of wireless power are everywhere. As a startup like yours, you have to see where is this technology absolutely needed rather than just a nice to have, right? So based on your work, what are the other adjacent markets that you can talk about, if any, that, I'm, uh, that Bumblebee is looking at? Sure. So I think we see, again, sort of going back to this idea that you've got to be um, when entering the market, you've got to be looking at something that is more than just convenience. And I think, you know, when we think convenience for wireless power, we're generally thinking about consumer type solutions and even charging a full size electric vehicle. Ultimately, that's a convenience aspect from a, the, the owner of a private vehicle. And so, the, you know, those are markets we're not uh, specifically going after, but other markets where uh, where you're really thinking about what are you saving from a business perspective by deploying this technology. I think there's a lot in general in terms of industrial processes and autonomy. You know, that we talk a lot I about see. automation of, of all sorts of processes, logistics related, you know, uh, electronic warehousing. And, you know, these things are not autonomous if you occasionally have to have someone come in and swap a battery or plug something in. Excellent point. And I'm assuming, you know, uh, drones, for example, too, right? You know, you have all of these drones that pretend to be autonomous, but they're not. That's right. right. Somebody's got to swap batteries or do something else. And I think the interesting thing about these sorts of applications, I think, is the power level that operators are, are going to require. Because, of course, mm -hmm. as we put lithium and new lithium sorts of chemistries into these applications, we can charge batteries now, you know, in, in minutes rather than hours. Uh, and so mm -hmm. that ultimately means whilst you might have what is ultimately quite a low power application, perhaps in the order of 100 watts, you probably want to charge it significantly faster because you want to minimize right. the dwell time and the downtime and maximize the service potential of this autonomous process. And so, you know, you don't necessarily think of you, uh, at least many people will not think about using the high frequency wireless power at very high power levels. But I think there are numerous sectors where in order to really fulfill the, the needs of the application, you've got to be pushing into the kilowatt levels in order to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe I want to go back to an earlier point that you had made, right? You talked about some of these high frequency solutions for wireless power. Seems to me, based on the discussion, they're cheaper, they're lighter, they give you more freedom, more air gap. Why is it taking so long for these high frequency solutions to go mainstream? Or why is the industry being slow to evolve from, let's say kilohertz to megahertz, in a way, if I can kind of simplify the challenge. So I think if you look at the 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 incumbents that people would know about and buy technology in terms of wireless power at the moment, then 
You know, the, the, the earliest thing that I like to mention probably is something like the electric toothbrush, uh, which is low frequency. And then you've got the Qi standard yeah. and you've got the SAE standard. So the Qi standard is now well known for uh, and included in lots of mobile phones. And of course, the SAE standard is now the standard that is being uh, adopted for the, the charging of, of electric vehicles. Now, these things have taken a long time to come to fruition. And I think, you know, to an extent, technology just takes a long time. It takes a long time, as you, you, you know, well know, Sanjay, in terms of developing standards. Uh, and interoperability yeah, yeah. is going to be key to, to rolling out in, in, I mean, not in all market sectors, but in some market sectors, interoperability of wireless yeah. power is going to be very important. So that process does take time. And I think really... Uh, Running in inductive power transfer at megahertz has only become truly practical with the advent of wideband gap semiconductors. So you, you could build 100 kilohertz systems uh, using silicon MOSFETs, and you could do that you know, 20 years ago. Um, of course, you can. And indeed, the first system we built in a research environment uh, at megahertz was based around a silicon power RF MOSFET. Uh, but ultimately, yeah. you know, it was a system demonstrator. The MOSFET was quite lossy. I think it had a one ohm on state resistance, uh, you know, which sounds like an off state resistance almost. So it was, uh, you know, not something we could build efficiently <laughs> until we got the likes of GAN and, and silicon carbide coming on the scene. And they really only became yeah. commercially viable from, I mean, commercially available rather to, to the, the everyday user, if you like, probably about six or seven, eight years ago. So I think we've started practically significantly later in the process than the kilohertz people yeah. were able to start. And that's part of it. And then on top of that, developing standards and things just means this takes time. Yeah, no, and, and wireless always takes time. I have been in the wireless industry for 30 years myself. I think every new technology takes a decade, right? You know, and we are not like necessarily patient people, but that's what it is. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. I think that, and it's, you know, I think it highlights, right? You know, you needed the entire ecosystem. The physics of this whole thing have been known for a long time, but the semiconductors to build these systems in a way that is practical, uh, can be integrated into a lot of our devices, uh, is only now coming mainstream. And I'm assuming when you're referring to GAN, you're talking about gallium nitride that uh, we are seeing in a lot of the power supplies for my laptop and my phones nowadays. Is, is that the same technology? That's the same, actually, yes. And you see, you see really what a difference it has made into the wired power supply market because the size of, yeah. of, of charges for, for laptops has decreased. It's probably gone down. Uh, well, the power density has probably increased by a factor of two with the adoption of gallium nitride into those applications. And it's all about efficiency. Heat sinks become smaller because there's less heat being produced. You can switch faster so the yeah. magnetic components get smaller. Uh, and from the perspective of the wireless power system, you know, as we said at the beginning, in order to get the big air gaps, you need high frequency and gallium nitride and indeed silicon carbide when you go to higher power levels fits that very nicely. I see. I see. Very good. No, fascinating conversation, Paul. And thank you for sharing a lot of the knowledge and about Bumblebee and what you're doing. So really appreciate that. I know we're kind of running out of time, but I think we have like time for one question. And it's a little interesting one. Uh, you know, every startup has a story uh, and every brand has a story. So I'm very curious to see how did you come? What's the story behind the name Bumblebee? 
Ah, well, we when we started, we weren't we weren't sure whether we would be predominantly uh, business to business or business to consumer. And I guess, you know, at the moment we're focused on business to business, but we certainly don't want to shut the door on on selling to consumers. So because of that, we wanted something that was friendly. And we thought bumblebee is a kind of friendly type of creature. I mean, we didn't call it wasp, for instance. Um, But but also then, of course, the um, the transformer films have have been quite popular and uh, uh, one of the characters in the Transformer films is Bumblebee and of course wireless power is just a transformer but without the core Cool. That 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 is awesome. See, I, I always learn something. There's a sort of geeky reason. <laughs> now every time I'm going to watch the Transformers movie, I'm going to be thinking of you, Paul. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for sharing time with us. And I'd uh, love to have you back again. Uh, hopefully next time we can announce some of your uh, product launches and, and the feedback from customers, by the way, as well, uh, based on the technology. Fantastic. Awesome. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks, you. Sanjay. Thanks for your time.